Isn't that both fascinating and satisfying all at the same time? What you just witnessed with the metronomes in science is called synchronization. And it happens in a lot of different places. It happens within the natural world. When geese are flying in a V, a lot of times their wings match each other as they fly. Um, fireflies mimic each other's uh, lighting when they're dancing and they're doing the mating thing. And cicadas, when they do that loud cicada thing, they do that to get, they end up doing that together. That's called synchronization. They do it in sync. Um, it happens in, with us as humans as well. Um, I was actually going to try this, but I thought maybe if it didn't work, it would not prove my point. So, like, but when audiences clap, a lot of times they end up on the same rhythm. We have this, this desire to kind of sync with each other that way. Um, two people often going on a walk together end up matching, not, not consciously, we subconsciously match our pace to one another. I was actually paying attention to this yesterday. I actually got to go on a walk with my wife for like an hour and a half, just, just the two of us. Like we could actually match pace because it's just the two of us we were running around with kids and stuff like that. And, and it, what's remarkable is I, we weren't trying to do it out on purpose, but we, I, I looked down and we were matching each other's pace, which is amazing because she's like five foot two and I'm not five foot two, you know, like it, but it worked. Um, we, we do that when we walk together. Um, did you know that even our heartbeats can sync? There's a lot of cool science out there in the last couple decades where our heartbeats, like if you look at a, a mother nursing a baby, their heartbeats sync right away. Um, it happens when lovers hold hands, our heartbeats sync as well. But even, even not in those like really intimate relationships, even we're finding strangers. That I read an article this week that took strangers and put them in a room and asked them to do a, uh, an exercise that required, tr required trust. And even strangers who didn't even know their, each other's names their heartbeats ended up sinking together as they did that trust exercise. It's fascinating. It also happens in our brains. Um, did you know that when we relate to one another on a deep level, the activity in our brains starts to mirror each other? Um, like the activity you know, in the front or the back, like if you were to observe that, the activity uh, starts to mirror each other. It happens when we or taking coffee or talking, talking over coffee together. It can happen when we're solving a problem together or working on something. It's, it, it, and you can feel that. You can feel that with people that you just click with, that you just, you know, like you can actually physically feel that. It's called, in, in, in psychology, it's called alliance or shared collaboration or interbrain coupling which is not something from Star Trek. So it sounds like something creepy from Star Trek, but it's actually a real thing. Um, and and uh, you know what's interesting is like as, as I'm talking and as you're laughing at things and as you're engaging with me, there's a study that just was recently done by a guy named Yuri Hussein, who's, I think he's like from Cambridge. No, I'm making that up. I forget where he's from. But he did this study where, where they, they actually observed through a speaker that you and I our brains can actually synchronize right now that if I'm engaging you as a speaker, that our brains, if we were to hook up things to our brains right now, we would see mirrored activity in our brains as we synchronize. Isn't that interesting? And, and it, laughter is one of the best ways for that to happen. 
It's one of the quickest ways. In fact, like when you're talking with somebody, you can actually get on the same wavelength with them. Literally, literally there's wavelengths that begin to match as you synchronize. And if you laugh, that happens two, three, four times faster. Because through laughter, it helps us to feel perceived similarity between one another. And that's an integral part of building relationships. That, that you and I are similar. That you and I get each other. And that allows us to synchronize faster. And it's, it's, it's been fascinating for me. When I started this series, I knew I wanted to talk about this, so I've been reading a lot about it. And there's a lot of work that's been done, especially in the last few years and a couple decades, you know, studying neuro, neuroscience and, and our, our heartbeats and that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is what we're learning about right now, like, we, we all know this. Like, this is nothing new. You're not like, no kidding, this happened. No, because you, you've felt it before. Even, even in the language that we use, right? Think of the language that we use when, when examples uh, of, of when it doesn't, when we don't click with somebody, or we just missed each other, or we just can't get on the same page. You know, we use this language every day. And on the flip side, there can be on a positive note, we can say, you know, hey, we're on, we, he and I, we're on the same wavelength. She just gets me. Or, you know, we, we met for the first time and we really, we just clicked. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. You know, you and I, we can feel that. We know that to be true. And in the last couple of centuries and, and decades within psychology and science, we've, we've come to discover that that type of meaningful connection where you and I just get each other, that's important for a lot of different things. It's important for our development. Um, we've learned that like, if, if, if uh, early on in our development, if we don't have that nurture, it makes it difficult to connect with people later. We can develop um, attachment disorders where we've just, it's just not possible for us to connect. It's important, we've found it's really important for communication that in order for you and I to be able to communicate, we have to have this sense of common ground uh, to be in sync. And we, the more we discover, like, uh, the, the more we, we, we research this stuff, the more we learn. It's not about the words coming out of our mouth, right? Body language has a lot to do with it. And our connection, these, these synchronizations have a lot to do with it. Imagine, like, when you're in an argument, and no matter what I say, you hear something different. It's because we're not synchronized. All of these things we, we realize are so important. That kind of connection is important for, for communication. But it's also important for our self-actualization. This connection uh, is important for us to find fulfillment in life. And we've been talking about that in the last couple weeks, that, that actually God designed it that way, that, that w without a good, solid connection with other human beings, you can have a great connection with God even, but if you don't have a good connection with other human beings around, there's, there's a fulfillment that you will miss. And, and we've talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I actually put that up on, on a slide today. Maslow's hi hierarchy of needs looks like this. The basis of it is philosophical or physiological needs, food, water, the things that are necessary for life, that without them we will die almost immediately. And then after that is the, ne the next tier up is the safety needs the sense of security, the sense of the place that we, we can be safe. And then the third one, and this is the one we're going to talk about today, and we've really talked about this whole series, but especially today, a sense of belonging where we're loved and we're accepted and we have relationships, we have friendships, we have deep connections. And then after, it, it, see, these are progressive, and this is how we, 
this is how Maslow proposed that we find fulfillment in life, is that we have to have these things in place in this order in order for it to happen. And then after the belongingness comes this esteem, a sense of prestige, a sense of identity. This is who I am. And then, of course, this self-actualization is when there's achieving one's full potential. And that's where we start to feel success. We start to feel like we've accomplished something in life. And that's a full life. The problem is, and the reason I want to put this up is I wanted us to see in you and I, in Evergreen, Colorado... This, this tendency that we have, we, you know, we've got the food thing down, we've got a secure place, and then it's like, but then we get to that belonging, that sense of love, that, that intimacy and that relationship, and sometimes we can just blow right past that. We can play a little bit of leapfrog and just cut to the chase, and we're like, well, it, it, I, you know, we've got everything that I need here, and, and, and then that you get success, but then you get success at work, and all of a sudden you've got a second home, and you've got all of this, and, and, but there's something missing. And it can be confusing, and, and it can happen consciously where we're like, no, you know, I just, I don't have time for those types of relationships, you know, and, and I'd rather do these things, who has time for that, but, or we can do it subconsciously, and we skip over it, and then all of a sudden we wonder, like, why, why is something missing? I have a lot in life. I've got all of these, not only do I have what I need, I have more than that. I, and, and people would look at my life and they might even envy what I have because of what I've accomplished and the education that I've been able to have and all of these different things. But yet, there's something missing. And this happens because, put this next one up. This is, this is Exhibit 13C. And I, I named it that because I realized I'm throwing a lot of different charts at you today and this is the last one. But here, here this, look at uh, Exhibit 13C. You have all of these rings or spheres of relationships, the first one being public. That's the kind of the outer red one. You've got a public relationship, big crowds, social media, around town, you know, seeing a kid in a hallway that you don't maybe know their name, but they're, it, it, you know them in a public sense. And then you've got your social tier, that's the blue ring right there. And the social tier is when you, you know, parties, even like right now, this is a social tier, church, clubs. You know, might have classes together with, with people that you know, you know their names, you know them in a social sense. And then you've got personal, that third ring. And that's when you get to, you get to know somebody personally when you work on a project or you go on a trip or they're on your team or, or a life group. Life groups are a personal experience. And then that last, that, that purple circle in the middle, that's the intimate relationships. That's where intimacy happens. It's where things, it's a, it's a, a relationship that's raw and real, where you can have conversations and you can share with people the last 10% of you. You know what I mean? Like in the, that public scenario, they only see the 10% of you, the first 10%, or, you know, and then in the, the social sense, they get to know a little bit more, and in personal, a little bit more, but that, that intimate relationship, that's when that last, that, 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 that things get raw and real, and we need all four of these. That's what, that's what healthy looks like, but it doesn't always happen for us. A lot of times what happens is it looks like this, Exhibit 13D, which is, this is what I've dubbed the donut disorder, which I promise you has nothing to do with eating donuts, because we all know that you can't, nothing bad comes from eating donuts. Can I just get an amen on that? Like, especially the donuts here, they're, they're, there's no calories in them. They're just awesome sweetness and goodness. 
Uh, thank you. Um, but what happens is we have a robust, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. It is possible to have a well, to be well-liked publicly, well-networked socially, well-acquainted personally, and yet not known intimately. That's the donut disorder. We have all of these, these other things intact. People know us and know who that we are. They like us. Oh, he's a cool guy. She's a great gal, whatever. And, and we might, oh, I know I have in my network. I'm really well networked with all these people. And I know that, you know, it's my town and blah, blah, blah. And even I have these connections with people like, like where we do talk about things. And we, we, we do have them over for dinner. And we talk late and that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of people personally. And what's tricky about this is that can feel like I, I should have, I have this complete social, you know, I have this complete social life. But if nobody knows you intimately, it's possible to do this in such a way and, and, and miss the fact that nobody really knows you intimately. You can have good working relationships. You can have a great life group. You can even have a strong marriage. And, and hear, hear me out on this. Your spouse counts. Your spouse offers a sense of, uh, of uh, an outlet for intimacy, for sure. But I don't like. I guess what I'm trying to say, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, is don't do him or her a favor, and don't let them be the only ones that know you well. It's possible to be well liked publicly, well networked socially, and even familiar with many personally, and yet not known intimately. And why this is such a big deal, in fact, I think that the whole, this whole series basically hinges on this idea of intimacy, and it's really to get all of us to take a step towards intimacy, is because it is impossible to be fully loved by somebody until you are fully known. We've talked about this in the last couple weeks. Intimacy is just really this. It's being fully known and then in response to being fully known, that person or those people fully love you. And when that happens, that's an intimate relationship. And we're in this series called The Big Three. And we've, we called it The Big Three because we, we, as we're putting this together, we want, we're like, we want to talk about intimacy. We want to talk about deep connections and meaningful connections with one another. Like it's important for us as humans to have. And we really decided, you know what, that happens in three areas. It happens at home in our families. It happens in our friendships, that's what we're going to talk about today, and it happens in romance, which is what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. That's the, big, that's the big three. Today, I feel like I'm really glad you're here at church today, because personally, as I'm putting this together and thinking about it, I think that friendship, as we're talking about friendships and finding intimacy with, within our friendships, I think friendships is the foundation for all of this. I think friendships is the most important, and, and, and I could go into this more, but I'll simply say it this, this way. Your family can be a disaster. Your family might be a disaster. <laughs> the love boat may have set sail on you years ago, or might set sail on you in the future, and, and you're just waving from shore as it goes away. That might be the reality. You might not find romance, and yet, and yet, and yet. I believe that we can have a very, like a really strong, connected life through friendship, through intimate friendships where there's a group of people or one or two people that know who you are 
where you're fully known and fully loved. The problem with the word intimacy is a lot of times you and I have uh, have a tendency to equate that to something sexual. Intimacy and sex kind of are almost synonymous a lot of times in culture. And and that's a really one-dimensional way of looking at intimacy. And we'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, maybe. But honestly, like, like we, intimacy plays a vital, non-sexual role throughout our whole entire lives. Sex is a part of intimacy. It's, it's, it's an avenue of intimacy, but it's not the only one. And if we, if we pigeonhole it like that, I feel like we miss out a lot. In fact, we might talk about this in a couple weeks. I'm still working on it. But I think if we equate intimacy with sex, we might ruin sex in the process. It's just a, a thought that I have that we might get to talk about. But honestly, we need to expand our our understanding of this idea of being fully known and fully loved, especially as men. Because I'm going to encourage you today in your friendships that intimacy between one, one guy and another male, that's a really important thing in life. It's something we can shy away from because it might feel weird. But it's extremely important to be known that way. There's a passage that I want to look at today that, that illustrates the power and the importance of a deep friendship. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by a guy named Solomon. And Solomon, uh, Solomon's one of the most interesting guys in the Bible. He had lots of problems. He, he did a lot of things wrong, but he, he also knew, he, he was a really, really wise dude. And right in the middle of the Old Testament, right after the book of Psalms, he wrote a few books. Uh, he has three different works in the Old Testament. And th- honestly, they're three very di- They're all poetic in a sense, but they're three very different books. The first one is Proverbs, which is rich, this deep thoughts on life. Some of them are spiritual. Most of them are not. Most of them are just this is kind of how life is. Um, the second one is Song of Solomon which is a book, a, a potent, it's really a potent love letter written between the, a, a lover and his beloved. Um, and in fact, it's so, um, it's so detailed at times that, that there, we think that there was times in the Jewish community that they wouldn't allow young Jewish boys to read, read this book until they were a certain age. <laughs> it was like PG-13. Um, and there's times, there's been times throughout history that, that uh, biblical scholars have been like, in, maybe not comfortable with that idea that it's, it's romantic, it's sexual even. And they've been like, well, maybe it's a parallel to God and, you know, our relationship with God. And it's like, yeah, that's there. But it's, it's also sexual. It's also, it's also sensual. Um, and we keep coming back to that. And then the last book that, that, that Solomon wrote, the one that we're going to look at today, is called Ecclesiastes. And I think that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon a little bit later in life because he gets a little sassy in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> he gets uh, a little sarcastic and he uses a lot of like ridiculous blanket statements of like, this is, this is how it works and, and this is how it doesn't work. And, and he says these really, like, and, and his, his main theme through the whole entire book is, is this one phrase, this is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Like, you know, it's not fair that you work hard and then all of a sudden you die and all of it, everything you work for just goes to somebody else. (laughs) 
and it's just, it's, if you're, if you're like a jaded kind of skeptical person, if you know, like, and, and that's okay. Like, like if you self-identify as that, I think it's great. You should read Ecclesiastes. You'd really like it. You'd be like, this guy gets it, you know? Like, it's just, it, he, he doesn't, he, the glass is definitely half empty for Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and here's, here, here's a cool thing. Um, when it comes to reading Solomon's writings, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, he uses this kind of literary um, motif or literary device where he'll describe, and it's, it's all, it's not actually happening, it's not something maybe he's actually observed, but it's like, he'll pretend that he's like a guy up in a window looking down on the, looking down at what's happening in the world. And he's like, I, I looked down and I saw this was happening and this is how it played out. And then he brings wisdom into that. He brings commentary into it. One of the, what, one of the things that he does is he creates these characters. Like, that, like he creates Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. And, he's, and he says, Lady Wisdom is like out on a street corner. just she, She's crying out to the people as if to say, like, why, the wise living is, is, is all, like, we can figure out wise living just by looking around us. It's calling out to us like Lady Wisdom's on the street corner and all these fools are going by. That's one motif that he creates. Another one he creates is like in, in the book of Proverbs is like he, sa he says, you know, I, I was looking down from my window one day and I saw a young man going to her house. And immediately when he says, when you read it, when you see, when you see her house, you know that is the wayward woman the adulterous woman, the flusy in town. That's what he's talking about. This, this young man's going to her house, and he paints this scenario where the young man's like, no, this is special. And Solomon's like, no, it's really not that special. She does this with a lot of guys. So be careful, be wise. And then he, and then he again, puts commentary to it. Sometimes these, these scenarios go on for a couple chapters. So the one scenario, we're going to look at one of those scenarios today where, God, where, where, where Solomon uses this, this, you know, like uses a guy, as, you know, this generic guy as an example. And it lasts just a couple verses. And it goes like this. This is Ecclesiastes 4, verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Again, that's his thread. That's his theme for this whole book. It's, it, life can be really meaningless, feel really meaningless sometimes. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. So he, he didn't have family. He didn't have close family. And there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. See, in these four lines, we, we learn very quickly what this guy's life is like. He, he's, he's not finding fulfillment. He's not finding self-actualization, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He's not getting to the pinnacle. But, but we also learn, not because he was, for lack of things, he's wealthy. And yet, there's no end to his toil. It's like, well, dude, just retire. Why don't you just, you know, stop? And then maybe it's because he can't stop. Maybe he just can't stop working. But maybe it's because he doesn't have son or brother, so he doesn't know what else he would do. And honestly, like, I, I think the Bible speaks really, really clearly and often not all that favorably about wealth. I think that's important for us to note, that you can have wealth, you can have achievement, you can have success, and you can still feel empty. 
That's what Solomon wants us to see here with this guy. Well, this guy starts talking. He says, for what, uh, for whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Why am I not happy? And it's kind of interesting. He has this moment of clarity where he's reflecting. He's like, well, who, what am I doing this for? And it, it, it's interesting. He doesn't say, what am I doing this for? He says, what? For whom am I doing this for? Because in this moment of clarity, he starts to realize it really doesn't matter what you got. It doesn't matter how much you have. It's, life isn't about what. It's about who, for whom am I toiling? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Why can't I find this? And, and, and Solomon chimes back in and he, he says this. He says, this too is meaningless. <laughs> this type of life that this guy has, it's, it's, it's going to no end. It's meaningless. It's a miserable business. Solomon has more to say. He starts to reflect. He starts to bring commentary to this guy's life. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either, either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this this. Um, this verse, these verses before. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then he makes this, this is such a cool, cool thing he says at the end. He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, like, like, basically he goes through this list, and it's interesting, Solomon sees this guy, he's lonely, and, you know, he, he can't find meaning, he can't find fulfillment in life, and what's so interesting here is Solomon's prescription for this loneliness is not a hobby, it's not a club, it's not a party, it's not, you know, you need to get out more and meet some people, it's more specific than that, it's more intimate than that. Um, in fact, it, he's, he's basically saying this is the power. What you need is, is you need one or two good friends. You, you notice that? It's not a group of people. It's like, you know, who would help him out? That one person, a cord of three strands, one or two good friends goes far. And I want you to, I want to read this again. I want you to notice how intimate this language is. Because here's what's, and what's interesting is this weekend, Oh, there will be dozens of weddings in the Denver metro area that use this verse as their theme verse for their wedding. Because it is kind of romantic, but it's not just limited to romance. The guy is, it, what Solomon is prescribing here is not romance. It's intimacy with one or two people. Let's read this again. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Do you ever have one of those jobs? where it takes like four times as long to do it alone than it would be if you had a buddy. It's a good return on your labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity, Solomon pities the fool who has nobody to help him up. It's, it's a pity, right? It, like it's a pity to, to, to fall down and nobody even notices. 
You know, like, like you have a moral failure, something happens in your life, and, and you hide it to yourself, and nobody even knows they're not, they're not there. They're not close enough to you to help you up. And also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And it's so funny. I couldn't, I couldn't like, stay away from, like, this as I was reading this this week. Like, obviously, I think of Christy, like, you know, because we cuddle in bed at night and that kind of stuff. But I also think of my buddy Rob Wright when I read this. Because there was a, we went elk hunting um, in November, and it was freezing out. And we're up on this ridge top, and there's, there's, we're waiting for these elk to show themselves so we can, you know, do the deed. We can shoot them. And, um, and, and literally, like, it was so cold, we just kept inching closer and closer to each other as we laid on this ridge. And at one point in time, I was like, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm really glad you're here. Like, this is cold, you know? If two lie together, uh, they'll keep each other warm. But who, how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. See, there's things in life that we face, in life that we shouldn't try to face alone. There's fights for our hearts and our souls. Yes, a physical fight. It's great to have a buddy next to you in a bar fight, of course. But there are also certain things that we face in ourselves that we shouldn't face alone. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And of course, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And what's so cool, I love, see, I love this. See, the, I love how science, we're, we're learning stuff so quickly as a, as, as a society and, and that kind of stuff. Like, like uh, there's, there's physics behind braiding a rope together where you take a strand that can hold 10 pounds and a strand that can hold 10 pounds and a strand that hold, you know, on, on their own, they can each hold 10 pounds. But when you braid or put those strands together, they can hold like exponentially more. And we know that and we can explain the physics behind it. We can do all of these things, right? And yet Solomon, 3,000 years ago, knew it as well. The ancients knew that if they took twine or string and put it together, that it was stronger. And Solomon uses that here to say it's kind of like that in life. It's kind of like that with you and me. If we don't want to snap in life, if we don't want life to break us, well, then we best do life together. We best do life in such a way that's not just casual, but it's intimate. It's like lying together. It's like working hand in hand. It's like, hey, I need a hand up. Please, can you help? That's what Solomon prescribes to the rich, lonely man. The power of one, maybe two good friends in your life and my life, I think has exponential impact, exponential and powerful potential. And see, as I was putting this together, I was like, you know what? This is really, really, really good news. Because the reality is, is we, we can be overwhelmed by this. We can be like, well, who is that? But like, honestly, all it takes is one, maybe two. And here's the deal. If, if you really, like, if you have an intimate friendship with somebody, that doesn't go away easy. Yes, it might, like, I've had friendships that were so tight and so, and that they're, they're friends in college, and we don't talk much anymore, and then nothing happened, and it just kind of, it was for that time, but it wasn't for this time. It was in my 20s, but not in my 30s, and that's okay. 
But the good news is, like, if, if this is a difficult subject to you, like, I don't know if I can do that. You don't have to do it. You don't need to, to, to let your, your crap out with everybody you meet. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> do yourself a favor and guard your heart, right? All we need is one, maybe two people who, who, who know us well. And in knowing us well, it gives them the chance to love us fully. And you and I need that. Not only do you and I need that, you can do that. I think you're closer to it than you think. I have to confess that as I wrote this sermon this week, I wrote the ending like four different times. I had like four different endings. In fact, if you want like more sermon from this, I'll give you my notes. Like you can have it. Because I had all these endings like the importance of staying close and proximity and that kind of stuff with friendship. Like I was trying to get like super helpful and like, you know, you know specific and practical and all this stuff. You know, like how to be, you know, how to, how to make a good friend or how to find a best friend or, you know, Josh's three proverbs for friendship. You know, like I literally, I have one called that. And I was like, no, nah, this isn't the direction I want to go. So when I get stuck like that, I do what I always do. I call Jake the drummer. And, I, and he and I just talk. And it, man, if you listen to that conversation, it wouldn't make sense. Like none of it would make sense till the end. And finally at the end, we drilled down. And we're like, you know what? I need to take, you know, like, I need to shift directions. Don't worry about getting practical. Don't get ready, worried about getting specific. Because I feel like if I did that, I might get in the weeds and I might lose some of you. What we really decided is it really, this, this idea of friendship really comes down to there's one attribute that I would encourage all of us towards that I think will help us take a big, giant step towards what we're talking about today. And it's boldness. It's to be bold. I even said it this way, that I think the type of friendship that you and I long for the most is on the other side of a fear that we face. And, and, and I, I, think, I think, honestly, that that, even though, yeah, there's, there's fear in our minds of like, can I put myself out there like that? Can I call them and, and just invite them into my life? Like, can I do that? That fear is actually really natural, but I, we wanted to call, I wanted to, to, to point us towards boldness, boldness to put ourselves out there, boldness to be honest, boldness to admit a fear when we have something that we're afraid of, boldness to invite them over, boldness to not pretend when they're around and pretend everything's good, even though it sounds like everybody else is doing good, but I'm not. Boldness to pick up the phone and call, boldness to ask for help, boldness to pursue one another. And I can't, as Jake and I were talking about this, it's like boldness is required because deep friendships are always unnerving. A deep, sincere friendship is all, always has something. There are times where it will be unnerving. It will be unsettling to be known in the way that's required to have that deep relationship. And see, here's what I want you to hear this morning. That fear of you being known that way is so incredibly normal. 
Like, like, that, like when we're feeling that way, we're like, well, I have this fear, but like we, we point to somebody like, well, they don't, I, I'm guessing they don't have that fear because they're so good with people or they're outgoing or they're sanguine or whatever. Like, like we point to those people and listen, listen, I've been called a sanguine before and it's not all, it's not better on this side of the, of the fence because like once, like when people call me saying, we're like, oh, no, it's not me. Okay. Can you say it again? You know, like, like I, I kind of want to rise and, and, and enter into that. And the reality is, is then I'm like, when I don't, what, the problem is, is when I don't feel like a sanguine, or I don't feel like being a sanguine, then I hide. See, for all of us, true friendship, no matter introvert, extrovert, no matter, no matter what, no matter if you had a good family or you didn't, no matter what, we all have fear that we face being known in the way that we need to be known but it's something we need to face. And if you're facing that, that's just friendship 101. It's really, really important to face that fear and be bold. Because to be fully loved requires first what? That you be fully known. And that scares the bejesus out of us. Because as I said last time, I shared a quote from Timothy Keller that says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be loved but not known, that's nice, but that's superficial. They don't really know. Like, yeah, you, you love me, but you don't know me. But to be known and not loved, that is our greatest fear. See, we're afraid we're going to put ourselves out there and be rejected. And to be honest, it's probably, good to, this is probably a good thing to talk in this discussion. That might happen. In fact, maybe that's happened to you before. Maybe the reason why this is so scary to you is because you put yourself out there and you got burned. You were not accepted. You were not loved. And so you've shut it down for a while. And it, it, that's, that's the reality of friendship, of being known as that person. I think of my, my buddy Mike Terpstra, and I was talking with somebody about this yesterday, about how close he and I are, and I, I realized... He could, if he just stopped calling or just like gave me the cold shoulder, no reason, that would hurt me incredibly. That's the nature of friendship. It's vulnerable. It's transparent. It, it, it's, it, we show our weaknesses. And that's a necessary part of it. And this, this is how, see, boldness is always required. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about every day. It's not like every day you have to be bold. No, but just at certain times. And it'll start, you have to be bold to, to you know, hey, what, you, know, you want to hang out. Like, like maybe they don't want to hang out and they say no. So, you, have, you know, to make the friendship is going to take boldness, to maintain the friendship. And throughout time, continually, you're going to have to be bold as you're honest, as you're transparent, as you won't pretend with them. It's a necessary part of what we long to have. And I know, so my challenge for you this week is to work out your bold muscle. <laughs> is to do something bold. And can we all agree that your bold muscle is good for other things in life? Like, like we're constantly pushing our kids to do bold things. Like, no, 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 just try. I know, soccer, like, you don't understand the game at all. Just get out there, you know, like, whatever. That's how I feel right now with you. Like, just... Just get out there. Try again. And it might hurt because we're not perfect. But it's worth it. It's worth, it's worth it compared to the alternative 
where we maybe have everything that one could ever, from the outside looking in, it looks like we have everything we ever wanted, and yet there's this hole inside the donut. There's this, this hole where we don't have it all together, and nobody knows. But what if? Imagine what today would feel like if you had one, maybe two, people who just got you. What if tomorrow, as you face whatever you need to face or have is waiting for you tomorrow, that you had someone you could call them and they wouldn't be surprised, they wouldn't be alarmed by what you had to say because they know you. And you're fully known and, because, and you're fully loved by them. I believe that's worth facing the fears that we need to face to get there. I believe it's worth being bold.